Welcome to this episode of The Hidden Scribes. As always, I'm your host, Mark Million. We've gone corporate, y'all. And the next episode, which will be dropping in the new year on January 6th, as we take a break for the holidays, we will have some ads at the beginning of the show, like insert here where I'm talking right now, and in between the story and the interview. So a heads up on the changing format. Instead of an ad, though, today, I'm going to take the time to wish you all an amazing holiday and thank you in advance for your kind birthday wishes. Oh, is that you say? You didn't know my birthday? Oh, yeah, man, it's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know what you're thinking. What do you get the man that has everything? Well, I'll tell you. I'm a simple man. <laughs> Subscribers. Yeah, give your friends and family the gift of the Hidden Scribes, this Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, St. Lucia Day, Fiesta of Our Lady, Boxing Day, Omisoka, Yule, Saturnalia, or just plain old Winter Solstice Appreciation Night. You'll be glad you did. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the last episode of the Hidden Scribes in 2017. Today we have a special guest and a special treat. We have teamed up with a veteran podcaster and self-made World Wide Web literary sensation. This episode is dropping just a few days after the Girl in Space podcast celebrated 100,000 downloads. And as if by cosmic chance, we've been working on a collaboration for some weeks that is here and ready for you to listen to today. Congratulations to the creative team behind Girl in Space. I'm a fan of the show. And I'm very excited to play the part that I have in bringing this version of that adventure to the podcast masses. Let me say at the outset that Girl in Space needs no improvement from anyone, least of all me. And this is not that. I remember listening to the description of the Kavatica in the second episode, becoming immersed in its crystal panes and silent labs, the placid beauty of it all. This takes episode one and distorts that vision into something more shoddy, steampunky, tortured. And it's been done with respect and admiration for the source material, but retold through a grimy kaleidoscope. Or better, a cracked disc of vinyl. Without any further ado, I bring you the creator of A Girl in Space, the legend, the lady herself, Sarah R. Werner. Sarah. Hi. I know how incredibly busy you are, and I'm glad to have you almost (laughs) my first celebrity. Well, well, gosh, I'm not a celebrity, (laughs) but thank you. I'm excited to be here. So... Tell us about what we're going to be listening to today. Sure. Um, so you just kind of want to know about uh, about Girl in Space? Yep. All right. It is a podcast about a girl in space, which is probably not surprising. Um, <laughs> she is out on a research vessel. She's alone. Um, no one else is there with her. You're not sure how she got there. You're not sure why she's alone. And there is a light that is coming toward her from the distance. So that kind of sets it up and doesn't really give any spoilers. So anything else that I can say that would be helpful? No, I think you've... Uh... You've done a great job. Now, uh, for those of you that are already familiar with Sarah and her work, I am a big fan of the Girl in Space podcast. And what we've done as an experimental project is I have remixed this uh, her podcast. So for those of you that are familiar with it, you'll be hearing something a little bit different <laughs> than uh, what you heard initially. And for those of, the, are, of you that are new to her work, uh, do not uh, take this as what you would find on her podcast because thematically and tonally um, I've done a lot of things differently. 
So uh, if this intrigues you at all, please go find her on her podcast. But if it in any way turns you off, still go find her podcast because <laughs> it's not her fault. It's entirely mine. Uh, so this is going to be Girl in Space. You think sometimes that you're all alone. But wherever you are, whoever you are, you're wrong. It's Girl in Space. You said, on the last day I ever saw you, not to worry, that I'd see you again. Part of me wants to forgive you for lying to me. I mean, you couldn't have known. But part of me? To be honest, part of me is still kind of bitter, even after all these years. Not because you left, but because you left me alone. Wow. (laughs) You'd think I would know better than to go through my old diaries. Nothing there but teenage heartache and angst, and a lot of truly terrible poetry. Though they're a lot more interesting than my current diaries. Speaking of which... According to the dash, it is day 10 mark 303, hour 0837. Whatever that means. I mean... I guess I get the meaning of time insofar as is possible for a human mind, and there's a fairly distinct linear progression to my life. I just haven't ever witnessed the apparatus by which they're measured. Days, hours. When there's no rising sun or planetary rotation, these measurements feel kind of arbitrary. I mean, outside of the info here on the dash, they don't mean anything. It's always just me, out here, on the Cavatica, alone. Despite how that sounds, please note that I am super not bitter about it. In fact, I really don't mind being alone. Turns out, I like the quiet. It helps me think. And I get a ton of work done. Speaking of which, I think you'd be proud of me. I finally got that old stereo microscope working, and I'm going to use it today to take a better look at those weird little insects that are attempting a hostile takeover of my potato plants. Oh, and I found something while I was going through some of Mom's old stuff. It's, it's weird, and I've never seen anything like it before. It's about the size of a button, and, well, I, I think it actually is a button. Not like the kind you would sew onto a jacket. It's the kind you press to open a door or commit a command. But it's not attached to anything. And I don't think it ever was intended to be. So, I'm going to take it apart, and I figured, hey, might as well do so using the stereo microscope. I know. Buttons and microscopes and potato-destroying insects all before lunch? What can I say? I'm a sucker for the cheap thrills. Honestly... I would climb mountains or lead revolutions if there were any mountains to climb or revolutions to lead out here, but there aren't. There aren't any tombs to excavate or counterfeiting rings to bust or even any decent movies to see. Well, okay, that was me being better. And and to be fair, there is one movie that came preloaded on the dash. It's called Jurassic Park, and I can't believe I didn't discover it until after you were gone because you would have totally loved it. It's all about the reintroduction of an extinct species that, in my opinion, was clearly dominant in the first place. 
I like it because it's full of heroic action and science, and because it reminds me that even the humans back on Earth have difficulty re-engineering gene expression in certain species. I used to watch it as a treat once every dozen days or so, but the Kavatic has been having some issues lately. Well, okay, more issues. And the movie playback is kind of stilted and jerky and stalls sometimes, which, to be honest, reintroduces a dash of the unexpected into a movie I can otherwise recite by heart. Nothing like a peaceful jungle landscape that pans the same scene 20 times before suddenly erupting into Dr. Sadler screaming bloody murder. If you were here right now, you would ignore everything I just said about the movie and hone in on the word issues. And yeah, I suppose I should log these here too for posterity or whatever. So, the good news is that the Cavatica still works. Technically. Like, it has structural integrity, for the most part. And so far I haven't been sucked out into the icy black expanse of space to die... The bad news is that the ship can't actually move, which is due to its engines being dead. But before you panic, I'm alive and I had plenty of heat and water and oxygen in the life support reserves to last while I worked out an alternative. It was actually a really interesting project, rerouting life support through the hydroponic systems into the glass house. I had to shut down all but three of the pods, but they're the three most integral to my work, so that's a win. Let's just hope I don't need to use the infirmary. Like, ever. Basically, the only ship-related thing that still functions properly is Charlotte's, and I'm not even sure anymore that she's tied to the ship. I mean, she should be, and logically, she has to be, because there is literally nothing else that she could be tied to. I certainly didn't wire her into the glasshouse system, and yet she remains operational. This might sound vaguely insane, but part of me suspects that she saved up some sort of energy reserve for herself. Which, honestly, wouldn't surprise me. For an AI that's supposed to be dedicated to serving and enhancing human life, she is incredibly selfish. Alright, time to get back to work. Whatever time might actually be. I'll be taking radiation measurements from Ra, checking out those insects under the stereo microscope, and taking apart that button thing I found. Ooh, maybe my cheese will be coagulated in time for lunch. So, okay, I'm curious. I have the stereo microscope all set up, and for the first time, I noticed a name etched into the side of the arm. Your name. It's faint, but it's there. My question is, why is it there? I don't really see there being an imminent danger of theft aboard a ship with a crew of three and no means of escape. Or is carving one's name into one's possessions a thing that people do? A habit? A compulsion? A simple act of boredom or defiance? I'm... I know I'm way overthinking this. It just threw me for a loop, and I can't say I'm entirely sure why. I mean, I guess that names have power. We name things for a reason. To identify and clarify them, to call and claim them, to bestow and take away power... Maybe that's what really happens to us after we die. Maybe our names are our ghosts, infused with the sum total of our accomplishments and unrealized dreams. Maybe you're haunting me through the stereo microscope. Or maybe that cheese wasn't quite ready to eat after all. 
at least I have the distinct honor of being haunted by Dr. Arvin Singh. <laughs> Way to be king of the nerds by including a proper title in your graffiti, Dad. Anyway, speaking of the microscope, I found a couple things that might be of interest, with a capital O and a capital I. First, the insects that are waging their tiny, cruel war against my defenseless potatoes. I can positively say that I've never seen anything like them before. I think that normally that might not sound weird. There are almost a million unique documented species of insect, and there's no way I could ever memorize them all. However, I've been aboard the Cavatica for more than 9,000 days, studying every living thing on the ship, in isolation, in the massive vacuum of space. So if I haven't seen a particular species of insect before, then, well, let's just say it's significant. Current hypotheses include some kind of rapid onset mutation or, more improbably, recent introduction. I've isolated a few of them in the terrarium for further study, along with cuttings from a variety of other plant species. I don't know whether I prefer they devour everything in sight, or simply remain hell-bent on destroying my potatoes. Okay, next up. The button. This thing, it's so simple, it's kind of hard to describe. It's smooth and flat and round, made of some type of dense plastic, or maybe glass? There's a slight fingertip-sized indentation on in the top to indicate what you're supposed to do. When you press it, it clicks. Hear that? Oddly satisfying. I am now taking a look at it under the stereo microscope, and... There's a tiny seam all around the side. Let's just... Let's just see if... Okay. I'm going to go see if I can find a scalpel or something to fit in there. Oh, no, 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 no. Charlotte, I am working. Out you go. No, go away. No, no, I would not. I've got this. Just please go away. Remember the incident with the distress beacon? Okay, just... Stay right there. Okay, I have a scalpel, which looks like it'll fit nicely in the crack. All right, I've got it open. Split right down the middle like a walnut shell. Inside, huh, just a bunch of wires and circuits. Huh, that's weird. There's a little burn mark right where... Yes, I can see that. Thank you, Charlotte. I can take it from here. What? Oh my gosh. Fine, just fix the microprocessor already. Okay, it's back together now, and it's still not... Oh, that's weird. Looks like there's a little switch right along the... Huh, okay. Uh, the object has begun to emanate a soft and steady blue glow from within. Uh, now let's see what happens when I push it. Gosh, okay. That was unexpected and terrible. I ran a quick inspection of the three functional pods and the dash core, and 
Nothing was different, nothing had changed, nothing was glowing or sparking or unexpectedly functional. On the other hand, nothing had blown up either. I'm relatively sure I'm still alive and Charlotte's as normal as she's ever been. I even ran the opening scene of Jurassic Park and it was still as jerky and stilted as ever. Uh, in short, I have no idea what I might have just activated slash done. I have no idea why mom would have stashed this thing in one of her lockers, or why or how it was broken, or why I even felt compelled to fix it. If there were anyone else on board, I might feel slightly embarrassed. But there is no one else on board, so I can be comfortably and perfectly honest about how I probably shouldn't have tried to fix that button and how badly it could have gone if it were some sort of weapon or self-destruct device. You know, hey, while I'm being perfectly honest, I hate zucchini, turnips are the hell spawn of root vegetables, and I'm terrified of the fish in the hydroponic tanks. But I eat all of them anyway because they're nutritious. Okay. Everything is okay. And hey, we even learned a lesson. Don't push buttons if you're not 100% sure what they are. As they say, you know, whoever they are, no harm, no foul. I am going to get back to my calibrations and conveniently forget this ever happened. Dinner tonight was one of the Ankarankis Mikus from the tanks grilled with lemon and oregano and quinoa that I tossed with tomatoes and spinach. I was going to have potatoes instead of the quinoa, but I decided to forego them until I learned more about those insects. Uh, strawberries and tea for dessert, and then some final radiation tests before bed. While I was eating, uh, I kept thinking about those diaries I found about how I used to feel about being alone and how I feel about it now. I was bitter then, and angry and hopeless and a whole lot of other things. But now... I know they say people don't really change, you know, again, whoever they are, but I think I'm kind of okay with it. I wake up, uh, I eat, I do science, I eat, do more science, eat and relax before I sleep. Then I rinse and repeat, just like it says on the side of my vat of Caldwell Enterprises shampoo. And between all the eating and sciencing, I can dance and sing and tinker with broken things and invent new things and watch Jurassic Park or even just, you know, stare out into the infinite vastness of space. I think what I'm trying to say is that I don't really mind being alone as much as I think I'm supposed to. Humans are inherently social creatures, but for, you know, whatever reason, I am not. No one tells me what to do out here. My work is important and my research is challenging and fascinating. I mean, sometimes I wish I had someone to talk to, but that's what you and Charlotte are for. I have clean water and fresh food and access to top-notch scientific equipment. No one tells me to put on shoes or sit still or wear cosmetics. And the view is fantastic. So, so why? This is going to sound incredibly ungrateful, but hey, we're being honest here. If everything in my life is so incredibly amazing, why don't I feel happy? Addendum. 
Day 10 Mark 303, hour 1745. This probably isn't really worth noting, but uh, during my final radiation tests of the day, I saw a blip out in the opposite direction of Ra. Uh, It's a bright light with the pinpoint clarity of a star, but obviously it's not a star since it wasn't there yesterday or even a few hours ago. Also, it's moving. I would say it's a comet or asteroid, but at this point I don't really have enough data to make that assumption. And we all know what happens when we assume. For whatever reason, Charlotte's taking this new development with all the grace of a garbage fire. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'm afraid of death necessarily, or at least not right now. Things live and die in cycles, and I'm not enough of a narcissist to think I'm exempt from the laws of nature. I'm weirdly... I don't know how to describe it. Interested? Excited, even? I mean, I'm not excited about death, or even really about what this approaching thing is. A comet, an asteroid, a projectile, a ship, an event, a fact, a phenomenon, an anomaly. I think I'm just intrigued by the idea that there is possibility out there, you know? In all of its mystery, this thing coming toward the Kavatika signifies everything. Oh, sounds like Charlotte found a way out. I bet she's on her way here right now to tell me that escape pods... Thank you, Charlotte. You know, it's interesting. The things that happened despite or because of our intentions feeble control that we have over this massive universe and the thin threads of chance that tie it all together. The Kavatica was never intended to be out here this long. And from what you've told me, the Raw Initiative was expected to, if not explicitly intended to, fail. Or at least it wasn't intended to be as long-term as it's become, or else they would have given it better engines and a larger supply of fuel. You know, and a bigger crew. An actual chance to return and make a difference. Not that I'm bitter. And yet, despite all of that, here I am, a girl in space, harnessed to one of the universe's most bizarre science fair projects, writing out my thin thread of chance regardless of whether anyone out there intended me to do so. What? Oh, that's weird. Uh, Charlotte says the anomaly appears to be gaining speed. I don't... Okay, hold on. I'm on my way to the galley where I have the best view of it. Maybe I'll sleep there tonight just to keep an eye on it, you know, for whatever good that'll do. Note to self. Create list of measures, countermeasures, and worst-case scenarios for eventual approach of disastrous phenomena or unfriendly ship or malevolent godlike entity. Okay, uh, so uh, day 10 mark 304, hour 0553, radiation levels normal, blah, 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 all of that good stuff. The thing moving toward us? It's not a meteor or an asteroid or an event or a malevolent godlike entity or a ship or any of those other things I said it might be. Dad, it's an entire fleet.
dude, I loved it. Did you? That's <laughs> great. So I have like, I have like so many questions and things to talk about, but I'm going to let you like go with the format <laughs> of the show and just, and just do your thing. Sure. Uh, well, what, what are some of your questions? Let's, let's, we can start there. Um, sure. Let's see. Um, so I guess first and foremost, um, what made you start like remixing podcasts? I'm so curious about this. Oh, I don't remix podcasts. Like that's not a thing. I, uh, so we just talk to people who have not made it yet as a writer who are either unpublished or who haven't found representation as of yet. And I take a selection of their work and then I add sound effects and music to it. And then I play the selection and then they experience their work in a different way. And then I just interview the author and we uh, talk about what their inspirations are, what they want to see come out of their writing career uh, where they are in the process at this point. Uh, have they finished what they're working on? Are they still working on it? What are their obstacles in that regard? And uh, hopefully, you know, the process of working on the project together will motivate them to finish if they haven't. I love it. And if they have finished, then, you know, hopefully they can take this to a publisher or an agent and say, hey, I was featured on this podcast you've never heard of. And <laughs> 500 people or a million people downloaded my episode. And so maybe because I've already kind of done my own marketing in that regard, you can consider that as you make the decision about my life I love <laughs> in it. your hands. I love this. This is the best thing. And so in your case, because, you know, technically, and that's part of what I want to talk to you about today, is that you are not a typical hidden scribe in the sense that you are far from hidden. You are living the dream as a, <laughs> as a writer who is paying their bills by writing. But uh, the caveat to slide you in was that you had never really published anything creatively before. And that girl in space was your first foray into that. And so that being the case, be, uh, because it already existed in that format, we had the idea that, Oh, well in your case, why don't we do something kind of interesting and remix an episode of your podcast to kind of keep in theme of what we do and completely change <laughs> the, the, the tone of, of what you've already done. I love it. I love it. And I love the, I just especially love that piece of music you put in at the end. I thought that was so beautiful. So my God, when this actually airs, someone will be different than actually when you and I are having the conversation because of the time crunch. I, uh, oh, gosh, I slid it to you with some uh with some uh, rough cut <laughs> but i'm glad I'm, I'm glad that 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 part will definitely be keeping awesome oh my gosh okay so um what what questions can i answer for you that will like be helpful or good what can i do that is the most helpful <laughs> so for those of you who are being introduced to Sarah for the first time. This is exactly what she's like on her podcast. Like she's very much that positive force of energy that seems to just be personified in this bubbly spirit. That's just trying to <laughs> figure out how she can be helpful and useful. And she's just very, very generous with her guests. And so I'm just really, really thankful to have uh, this type of really great energy. Oh gosh. Thank you. Um, with us today. So let's just hear a little bit about your background as a writer. Sure. So let's see. I kind of grew up uh, loving to read, I think, as most writers do. A love of reading tends to lead to a love of writing. Also, I was very, let's see, 
I don't know if like emo is still a thing, but I was like one of those teenagers who was like very angry and angsty and emotional. And like writing was one of the few things that helped me deal with, uh, with all of my emotions. And so I, I started looking at writing as, as a part of my life and a healthy part of my life. And I went to college, but I, uh, uh, ended up not uh, working in the glamorous world of publishing like I had wanted to or planned. And so I ended up working in marketing for about 10 years, a very, very viable career choice for writers in that um, I know that there's the sense of like, oh, I'm not going to sell my soul and go into marketing because that's using art for a commercial reason and for corporations and it's terrible and the worst. But really, working for marketing in 10 years, it gave me the skills that I needed. Um, it taught me a little bit about business. Of course, it taught me about marketing. It taught me how to work with people, to communicate with people and to really build myself up as a professional. And so I'm very, very, very grateful to my time in marketing for that. As I was uh, working in marketing, I didn't stop writing. I kept writing. I started many, many novels and they all are just kind of still uh, sitting around in my Dropbox here, (laughs) unpublished. And like you was good in space, one of those novels. It was, it was, well, okay. it was, it was an outline. It was like an, uh, an early sort of outline of, of what was going to be a novel. And, um, basically I, I think that I was in the same place that a lot of writers listening to this podcast right now might be. And that is you write, and then you're not really sure what to do with this stuff that, that you've written either because you're not sure how to get it published or you're not sure if it's good enough to publish, or if you're just downright terrified to publish and to let people read this very intimate part of you uh, that you've let out. So I wrote all while I was uh, working. um, I was working full time uh, as a uh, marketing specialist and then as a uh, senior content strategist for a website company. And I was writing these novels and just like, I don't know, not ever 100% finishing them. I would get like three fourths of the way through and either get depressed or get frustrated with them and then put them in a drawer or put them in my Dropbox here and never did anything with them. And I I think that a lot of people listening to this show right now will identify with that. Either they're uh, depressed and they have trouble finishing their work. Um, It's not perfect. And so they get frustrated with it. They don't want to publish it. Maybe they're um, uncertain about how to publish. Maybe they're terrified of letting people read what they've written, this very intimate part of themselves. And so that's sort of the boat that I was in. And so I was writing all this stuff and not doing anything with it. I was publishing nonfiction. So I was publishing, not that nonfiction is not creative, but um, I was publishing less imaginative work. So I was writing, I was blogging, I was writing for um, customers and clients doing website writing. Um, I was ghostwriting. None of them were for me, right? When you ghostwrite something, it has someone else's name on it. All of the stuff I was writing for the web was for my clients. It wasn't for me. I did have a small blog going and that's really where I like hooked my claws to use a cat metaphor because I'm a crazy cat lady, apparently. So I was, I was blogging and I was frustrated and I was frustrated because I worked in marketing, but this blog I was creating, I wasn't getting any traction with it. I wasn't getting any email signups. I wasn't even getting any readers aside from like myself, my sister and my mom. And it was just really a little, a little disheartening to spend three or four hours on a carefully crafted blog post and then see it not really go anywhere or accomplish anything. And so that's why I started podcasting. At the time, 
there weren't a lot of women podcasters. This was 2014 and there weren't a lot of writing podcasts. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to take my idea for this blog and turn it into a podcast. And so that's when I started the right now podcast. And really that starting that right now podcast is kind of what catapulted me to where I am now. I discovered a medium that I love and that I'm comfortable with. Um, and, and I just found that I love, I love talking to people and I was able to form a more intimate connection with people, a more, a a deeper relationship with people than I was, uh, instead of doing it through a blog and, yeah, I, I saw a little bit more success just because there was vacancy in the space. There was room in the space for a new voice. And uh, it kind of went from there. So later on, I was looking at my novels and I said, well, I have a, a successful-ish nonfiction podcast, the Right Now podcast. Uh, what would it look like if I were to turn one of these novels that I've written into a podcast? Because I, I saw the success the, the failure to success from my blog to the podcast. So why not try that with mm-hmm. a novel? And so uh, that's really how uh, I started um, feeling more comfortable unleashing my creative works. My creative written works into the world was through audio, which was a medium that I had become very comfortable with. Um, it was no longer terrifying to me to think about submitting a giant manuscript to a publisher. It was a lot easier to think of my novel as a series of podcast episodes because that was something that I had become used to thinking about. And so, um, right. and you know, then I could record it myself. I have complete control. Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, selling enough copies in order to make a publisher happy. I can just do my own thing and share my story from my microphone. So is the end goal for the dramatic uh, serialized podcast that you have now to exist in just that place? Or is it meant to act as a stepping stone towards getting it into print or some other format? What a great question. Initially, it was it was just a uh, an, an experiment, really. Um, I started just to see like, hey, can I do this? How many readers or you know listeners can I get? Um, and what would it look like if I did this? When it debuted, it broke into the uh, Apple's iTunes uh, top 200, if I'm not mistaken. It did. It did. And it was it was featured on the front page of iTunes for, I don't know, I want to say like a week or two, which I don't I don't even know how that happened. So that that is like That's a mystery awesome. to me, but it is an awesome mystery. And I'm so grateful um, to whoever my guardian angel is at Apple for uh, for doing that. So thank you, wonderful person. I think on one of your podcasts, I remember you uh, kind of being in that bewildered state because it was like it had just happened. And I think you were talking specifically to who you were giving the credit to at the moment because you had built up a following that mm-hmm. I think you were able to track via like your email subscriptions, like people that kind of bought in and that you, you know, you had their email addresses. And so as they were listening to the right now podcast, you let them know that you had this work coming. And so when it debuted, you had already kind of seeded the ground. I think that it would behoove um, some of our listeners to kind of hear like, how does that, how does that process take place? How do you create a situation to where you kind of have one beast feed the other um, so that they can both, uh, grow from it? That is a fantastic question. And I like the word that you used and that was seeding. When I started the Right Now podcast, I had to start with a clean slate. I I was unknown. I was completely unknown. I didn't have an audience. I had like 200 followers on Twitter and, and it was, it was a lot of hard work 
uh, growing that podcast from the beginning. But um, I had to lean very heavily on the people who were around me. So those people who initially seeded, and that would be um, my family, close friends, some of my coworkers who believed in the project that I was doing. And I had to work very hard to get them to, okay, subscribe. Here's how you subscribe. Uh, subscribe to my email newsletter. Here's how you do that. Okay, listen to my show. Here's how you do that. Now tell your friends if you have a friend who's a writer. So it's it's a lot of, for, for a lot of us writers, who are used to being invisible or who are used to being weird little introverts, like hiding up in their ivory towers. It was a lot of social work for me. Like it was like, Oh, I right. have to put myself out there for real and, and say, this is my project. I own it. And now I have to like essentially network about it. And, um, some of the best things I did were like you said, um, seating it, like telling family and friends about it and then having them share it from there. Also going to conferences was very helpful. And I, I did the same thing with girl in space, but I was able to do it on a larger scale because like you said, I had already built up a little bit of a following from the right now podcast. And a lot of people who are fans of the right now podcast were like, Oh my gosh, Sarah's written something creative. I would love to see what that looks like. And, um, within that first week of me launching girl in space, they were like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to help her out. If you're just starting out without an audience, your friends and family, if you have people around you who can support you, lean on them a little bit. And then in the future, if they need help, like support them as well, make sure that you're, you're giving, <laughs> you know, that you give back or that your um, reciprocity is key. Yeah. It, oh my gosh, it is. Or even paying it forward. If someone helps you and then you want to help them, right. but maybe, you know, they're, they're a little bit more, uh, well networked and connected than you are, then pay it forward to somebody new who's maybe struggling and needs some amplification because that's, that's really what it is about is other people amplifying your message and and saying like, Hey, this is something worth listening to. This is something worth reading. And, and it's just a hundred percent that community building and word of mouth. That's, and like you said, reciprocity. Yes. Amazing. You, I mean, it, it's a really interesting piece. I think that um, just to talk about girl in space, more specifically a little bit yeah. for those of you who aren't aware girl in space is not psycho. <laughs> uh, she's, she's not crazy at, by, by any means. One of the things that was really interesting about girl in space is that she is the, the protagonist is, is so optimistically academically buoyant. <laughs> I love <laughs> that description. Time. He is never, ever one of those people that's ever depressed <laughs> or without hope, like no matter what the circumstances are. And so you kind of watch her with this kind of mischievous glee, like go about like, you know, her antics and her adventures and, and, and how she goes about things. And you almost see the, the universe of the world kind of bend towards her. Like you have this sense that there are these, you know, more nefarious elements that might be out there, but like once they're in her presence, they can't help but kind of succumb to like her just natural spirit to a certain degree, like no matter what the stakes are. And I felt like if I was going to do a remix, I didn't just want it to be, you know, something that was just like kind of on the surface, but like, like a deep dive into just reimagining what that might look like from a fairly realistic place on the one hand, because, you know, that kind of isolation, I think most people would, would, uh, would feel very uh, put upon to retain their sanity, but her, your your character is just so indomitable in that sense and you know she just she feels so strong in that quiet kind of way that uh i I wanted to kind of tease this idea of her being broken that and the fact that well that was kind of already my my thinking on it but then um as the technical aspect of it was playing itself out in the actual podcast charlotte (laughs) 
is voiced by an actress and is a real thing that's that's you know is a, is a partner in the performance and when uh i got the audio from sarah there was no charlotte <laughs> so it's like i couldn't have I, I would have had to either do charlotte myself or have somebody i know do charlotte and uh we were already underneath some unique time constraints <laughs> so like having that be a voice in her head was just like oh yeah that was kind of where i was going with it so <laughs> it wound up working it out it was so uh, perfect cool that was one thing i wanted to call out about the um about the remix you did i love that so much it it, it she kind of like goes into this dream state when she's talking to quote unquote charlotte who may or may not be there and, <laughs> right. oh boy do i i love that you did that i've already had several listeners um sort of tell me fan theories like you know what what if she is still alone or you know what if she's just imagining all these people around her um or what if you know something like that is going on and so i i love i love that interpretation so much and i think it calls out you know how do we react to other people and to what degree do the people around us become us and how do they affect us and how do we affect them so i i just i love what you did i love how you played around with that i know that there are fans of your podcast who who might be listening just because you're appearing here and they'll, they'll follow you wherever you go what is in store for X. So there's a lot of, I, I try to keep my storytelling. I don't know if this is for good or bad, but it's something that I've decided to do. I try to keep my storytelling a little bit circular instead of uh, in a straight linear progression. And so there's, there's a lot of flashbacks to her and her thoughts when she is ostensibly on this ship with certain people. And then later on when she's on the ship ostensibly again with certain people. And I'm, I'm playing around a lot with the past repeating it itself. And I'm playing around a little bit with, I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible. I always like think about themes and, you know, all that stuff we used to dissect out of books when we were in high school, but there's a lot of themes that I'm very excited about exploring. And that is, you know, what makes us human? What makes us people? What makes us individuals? How, uh, what hand do we have in our own fate? Um, I, and I know that these are all really cliche, like science fiction topics, and I'm trying to figure out how to tell you what's coming up without, without being too spoilery. I want to connect to something that you said, and I love that you said this, the human spirit, and and you used the word indomitable. Boy, do I love that. I I love that so much. And that's, I think, at the core of what I'm trying to do with this character is to explore, you know, we're handed um, crappy circumstances. We're handed life. We're handed all this terrible stuff that happens to us. What sort of agency are we able to retain in circumstances when other people are telling us what we can and can't be and what we can and can't do. And so you're going to see a little bit of X pushing against uh, a system. You're going to see her pushing against um, other people's will. It's going to be maybe a little bit of a battle of the wills and of the spirit. And so I hope that that's not too vague. No, um, I don't think so at all. I, I was, it was a Right in line with what I assumed. I, I didn't think we were going to like get any scoops <laughs> today. But speaking to the overall theme of humanity, it brings to mind, and I haven't read like what some of the fan theories are about X and who she is and, you know, her relationship to Ra and, and all these other things. And I don't want to. I don't want to ask you anything that you're, you know, you feel uncomfortable answering, yeah. but one of the things that kind of comes across about her is that as a human being, when she's introduced to this new community of people that, you know, cause she's been on her own for so long, she doesn't seem like she's starving for that. 
You know, she's not taking that scientific trope mm. of, or science fiction trope rather, of when a human's in isolation um, for a period of time, they starve for for people like water. I mean, that's not a trope. That's that's real life. But like when you see this isolation in science fiction, you often see in like I Am Legend mm-hmm. or other works like that. You see, you know, your Will Smith character, you know, just dying and craving um, that sustenance of of other people, and she doesn't really behave that way. It was kind of like, eh, people are here, (laughs) you know, I could take them or leave them kind of a situation. Is that in some ways a function? Like, is this another aspect of her perhaps being more than or less than human, if that makes sense? What a good question. And I I actually struggled with this initially and I struggled with it because um, I gave the script to a few of my friends to read before I, you know, went ahead and recorded it. And all of them were like, okay, this is, this is fun and whatever, but I don't think it's very realistic. You know, when she sees the ship or when she sees new people, she should be overjoyed, right? Because they're coming to rescue her. And And X wrestles with this herself a little bit in the first few episodes. It's like, what if I'm okay uh, being alone? What if, what if I'm okay existing as a person? What does it mean um, to define my personhood uh, outside of, you know, the society that others have constructed or outside of how other people view themselves or outside of even what names other people put upon me? Um, and so I'm, I'm playing around with that a little bit, but she's very comfortable being alone. She's, she's an introvert. She is, I think she, she's comfortable with where she is, but it, it definitely was purposefully done just to explore this type of character, what type of character would be okay being alone, but also sort of looking at, like you said, is humanity uh, individually prescribed or is humanity something that we make up together as a society? Is, is that really what humanity is? And so I, I love, I, these are great questions. My gosh. Thank you. Well, so, but to that end, you are not prepared to debut here on the Hidden Scribes, whether or not she is like a superhuman well, you will find <laughs> or, out. or some type of a clone of a human or in some way reduced from humanhood at all. Like that's not, if that is an indicator or if that is a, a, a part of her schema, that's not something that you're prepared to speak on. Well, okay. So I have to tell you, it does. This question is answered in episode 106, very explicitly answered, um, oh, okay. which is coming out on, I believe, December 19th. So very so cool. if if this comes out uh, if this episode comes out and episode 106 is out you can drop everything and go listen to episode 106 <laughs> and your 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 question well your questions will be answered but uh new questions will also be raised so i guess beware right of that. right right that's cool that's, that's good to look forward to this is this will actually be out almost exactly <gasps> a week before that oh perfect so when people hear this, they'll, they'll, they'll have this look for like, you know, that that will, will happen. You will get an answer to that question. That's perfect. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So the answer, the answer is out there. And I think I, I might've cut you off earlier. I know that this started off experimental, but do you imagine her existing in just this format or oh, right. is there a plan for, for something? To, uh, right. Oh my gosh. See, this is, this is me going on uh, tangents and stuff. So um, initially <laughs> it was just going to be an experiment and I was going to dump it and that was just going to be fine. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I could play around with this world and this material so much. So I will be releasing, um, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, Steal the Stars, but put on by Tor Lab. And so of course, you know, naturally uh, they're publishing a book in conjunction with it. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, I can and should do this. So I do plan on self-publishing a book. It will be uh, the first season of Girl in Space in novel form. It will have not only the material that you've seen in the podcast, but it will also have chapters from other characters' perspectives. It will have tons of bonus material, um, and it will be a more comprehensive look because uh, the viewpoint that you get in the podcast is so isolated. Uh, You will get a richer view of what that looks like. And then in addition to that, I have another podcast that I'm toying with that is also fictional and set in the same universe, so to speak. So, so yes. So it's just, it's just fun and exciting to build something and then realize, oh, I can keep building. I can keep putting more blocks on top of this tower and see how tall it can get. Absolutely. Do you have a, a date or a sense of when the book will come out or when the new podcast might make a debut? Oh man. So I have, um, Season. Oh, I'm also working on season two of Girl in Space, uh, which will come out, I believe, uh, September 2018. But don't hold me to that. That's just a projected date. Um, around that time, I would also like um, a rough draft of the book to be done. So I'm looking at the book being done early 2019. But A, I'm bad at planning. And B, this is really the first time I've ever uh, mentioned a date in conjunction with a book. So don't hold me to that either. But it's it's exciting. And it's 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 refreshing to know that you don't always necessarily have to go through traditional channels to publish a story. And that brings up an interesting aspect because you have been working in the field for so long. You know, you've published as a ghostwriter. And I think it's interesting for people to hear that despite that proximity to it, you still had a lot of apprehension about getting your own creative work out there, you know, despite all these accolades that you had underneath your belt. I mean, you're, you're an accomplished writer at oh, this point you. and having your, having the, the wherewithal or, or the, the confidence to say at the, from the very outset, after you've made all these connections in the publishing community and, you know, you know, all these people that a lot of us, you know, are, are trying to get to know you had all that in your, in your immediate circle and you still took your time about, feeling comfortable or finding you know, the space to feel comfortable and putting your work out there. And I think it's uh, it's powerful for people to hear that so that they don't feel, you know, mm-hmm. less than because they themselves haven't taken that next step that they don't feel like, oh, well, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I such a coward about oh, this no. or so forth and so on? But to, to hear that someone who had all the access in the world and had already, you know, put their stamp on their work still felt that same degree of, I'm not quite so sure if I'm ready to share. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yes, there is nothing wrong with you. If you are terrified by the thought of diving into publishing, um, don't be, look at, look at me as an example. Um, But, and I appreciate, I appreciate you bringing that up. And part of me through this journey that I've taken, um, I've been doing this for about 10 years and, and throughout this journey, I think maybe a little bit I've been maybe a little bit resentful that the world of publishing is not more democratic than it is. I I hate the barriers to entry. I hate that there's gatekeepers. I hate that you have to know someone essentially to get published traditionally. I I hate that. And part of me now, maybe, maybe at this point in my career, I might be able to like, elbow somebody and be like, Hey, can you, can you hook me up with traditional publishing? But part of me is 
um, obstinate. Part of, part of me wants to say like, Hey, if you're not going to let everyone else in, then I don't want in. I'm going to self publish and, you know, screw you guys. So I, 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 so I wonder if part of it just comes down to me being a little bit petty as well. Well, I think you have a, a sense of justice. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, not so much petty, but just feeling like you would like the world to look a little yes. bit different and, and, and not feel like you can't have a meritocracy because, you know, the system doesn't allow mm-hmm. for it. So I think there's a lot to be said, especially for someone who's so entrenched in the system to be able to look at it candidly and, and take a step back and, and refreshingly just kind of say, yeah, it sucks in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it should, should be, be, it should be, it should yeah. be so much better. And now with self-publishing, we can start making it better. So I, I really, I really believe that. And, and thank you for saying that I am interested in justice instead of just being petty. I- Dude, that is my honest read, guys. That's, that's, that's how I feel you're coming at it. Um, so talk about self-publishing a little bit, because I think that for some writers, they still feel like, well, self-publishing is kind of like what you do as a hobby or because it's like, it's not going to get in front of as many people as I would really like my work. Or they feel like I need a large amount mm-hmm. of capital to be able to self-publish. What, what would you say to people about that route as a whole and your experience with it. Yeah, definitely. I would say that the gap narrows every day. And by by that, I mean, um, so, so back in the old days, you know, you would go to one of the big five or maybe now it's the big three with all the consolidation in New York city and you'd find an agent and they would hook you up with a publisher and you'd get published and the publisher would cut you a nice check and, uh, they would take care of your marketing. They would book you for signings and talks and all that good stuff. Um, from what I've seen and heard in the industry now, that's just not true anymore. Um, if, if you, if you go into publishing, looking for sort of a catered experience, if you go in there looking for them to take you by the arm and guide you lovingly, um, to fame and stardom, I don't think you're going to get that anymore. A, A lot of traditional publishers will, when considering whether or not they're going to publish you, they'll look at the size of your audience that you already have. And they'll say, oh, you don't have enough uh, Twitter followers or um, you're, you're, you don't have enough speaking gigs in 2016. Uh, you, you know, you're not big enough for us already. So there's, there's already the ownership on you as the writer to create your own community and to create your own audience. And I figure, you know, if I'm out there doing all this work and creating an audience that's hungry right. for my work, why would I split those dividends with a publisher who just wants to swoop in and make money off of me? And it's maybe a little <laughs> jaded, um, but but I want to say, so I want to say that first and foremost, that one of the best things you can do, whether you're doing traditional or self-publishing, is to just very slowly, you don't have to do this in huge leaps and bounds. You don't have to spend millions of dollars on advertising or billboards or Google ads. Just start building a community around your work. Um, start, you know, go on Twitter, go on Instagram, um, whatever else is popular these days, because I'm getting old. Um, go out there and find your people <laughs> and connect with them. Go to a writing conference, or if you're, um, if you're a journalist, go to a journalist conference. If you're a children's book writer, go to a children's book conference and start meeting meeting people, meet supporters, those people who will seed your success for later. Um, this is just so, so important that you begin to, to build your audience. The other thing I want to say about traditional versus self-publishing is um, a, a lot of writers look at traditional publishing as a way to feel validated. You know, like I'm not a real writer until I'm published by Penguin or I'm not a real writer. I'm not a real author until I'm published by Tor or, you know, insert your publisher here. And that's 100% in your mind. 
I, I think that if you are comfortable saying I am a writer, regardless of how I'm published or who publishes me, I, I think that you're going to be a lot happier. You're going to be a lot more content and you're going to have a lot more control over your, your own work. So look at, look at what spells out success for you as a writer. Is it validation? Is it getting your book into the other people's hands? Is it, you know, topping that New York bestsellers or, you know, what, what, what is it that makes up success for you? And is it, is it contingent upon the validation of the traditional publishing agency? You know, I vacillate between that myself. There's this line in, um, I think it's Edmund by David Mehmet. And there's a scene between him and this waitress that he picks up. He feels like he's on the verge of this connection with this waitress. And it all crumbles because she had introduced herself to him as an mm-hmm. actress and he said, oh, okay, you're an actress. But then as they're having this conversation and he's thinking, oh, they're getting ready to fall in love and, and be happily ever after, she mentions her job tomorrow that she has to go to where she's waiting tables. And he's all confused, like, wait, man, I thought you were an actress. And they wind up getting into an argument because he's this guy in this moment who's a dick and he just can't, he can't allow her to mm. define herself that way. Because she hasn't made any money that way yet despite like, you know, where her heart lies and where she feels like her passions are. And she defines herself that way. And I feel myself do that throughout my life with my writing where I've never been paid for my writing. And so there are times where I might introduce some myself to someone and say, well, I'm a writer and it feels inauthentic because well, no one's actually giving you a paycheck for it. But like I spend gobs <laughs> and gobs amounts of time writing, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's so much of me that's wrapped up in it. Um, so I, on that since it feels authentic, but in the other sense, because I've never actually been paid for it. It's not so much even validation as much as it, as it is that am I giving this person the right. wrong impression by telling them this? Am I misleading them somehow? Or am I, am I being imprecise with mm-hmm. my language? And, and how do I, how do I uh, square that? You know, I've gotten to a place now where I don't worry about it quite as much, but it's, it's definitely something that I think, for writers who, especially the writers that I deal with on a consistent basis, because I'm, I'm dealing with people who haven't taken, you know, that step specifically. I think it becomes a situation where they wind up defining it for themselves, but I think it can also be crippling mm. because, you know, you don't want it to feel like a hobby. You don't want it to feel like, you know, I'm just kind of spinning my wheels here. You want to take some sense of ownership over it. And a lot of that can come from the simply just saying, well, I'm a writer and putting on that cloak can be really, really daunting. I appreciate that. That's so, it's such a complex thing, how we define ourselves. And I even touch on that a little bit in Girl in Space with the labels that people put on the main character and what she chooses to put on herself. You know, I I think about it a little bit in, um, you know, nobody pays you to be a parent. And yet if you have children, you are, you know, indisputably a parent. And and I, I think that I don't know if this is just part of our culture, but we, we tie up so much in money. And this is probably the number one thing that I hear from writers is I don't feel like a writer because I'm not being paid to do it. And it's just, it's something that I can't really say like, Oh, you're such a fool. Because like I was in this place too for years and years and years. And I've only just recently, even after getting paid for writing for years and years, been comfortable saying I'm a writer. Um, it feels like we have to earn a badge. It feels like we have to go through a test or something to prove. And maybe that test is making money. Maybe that test is winning a prize. Um, but it, it all comes down to external validation. And what I've learned is 
external validation is never as validating as you think it will be. At the end of the day, and this is maybe something you have to, it was one of those things I had to experience because I had people telling me this, like, oh, you don't need other people's validation. You are what you believe you are in your heart. And I'm like, whatever, I need validation. I finally started, the moment for me was, um, I was at a coffee shop. And so I was talking to the barista and she was like, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm going to say it. I said, I'm going to say it. I'm a writer. And like, nothing happened. I didn't get struck by lightning. Like the FBI didn't come in and like tackle me and like <laughs> send me off to like liar's um, jail. Like, I don't know. Right. I, it was just this non experience. I expected it to be like, I expected something to happen when I said it. I either expected something great or something terrible to happen when I finally got up the courage to say it. And I said it, I said, I am a writer to this barista and my life didn't change, but I think that's okay. And so I I think what I would do is I would encourage you or anyone who's listening, um, even if you've never been paid for your work, just push yourself through it. Start introducing yourself to to people, and they can be people you know or people you don't know. Maybe it's better to do with people you don't know. Just say, "Hey, I'm a writer," and just just get comfortable saying that. And then I think that your your identity will start to grow into that, and uh, and, and things will get a little bit more a little bit more bearable, a little bit less weird, and you'll be able to make some harmony there with this writer that you are on the inside. That I think is very healing advice yes. for many of us. <laughs> uh, and, and just make sure that you are giving more than you're taking. This is this is just advice that I would give you for anything, whether it's meeting people, networking, getting a new job, being a writer. Always give more than you than you take back. And and if you don't have anyone to give back to, then again, like I said earlier, pay it forward. Um, your your first goal in life should always be to to help other people. And I think that's a great place to give our gratitude here because Sarah is definitely paying it forward by being here today. She is helping us out a lot more no. than we are helping her <laughs> audience wise. And so we are very, very thankful and grateful to have you here and have your insights, both as a resource and as an author. So thank you very, very much. And uh, we are all looking forward to the next episode of, of Girl in Space. Thank and you, right Mark. Now. You're wonderful. And can I invite you to be on the Right Now podcast? Is that something you'd be interested in? I've already scheduled <gasps> That's right. Uh, that's right. Date. That's right. That's it's. Oh, I've, I'm the worst. Yeah, it's like, what yes. is it, March? It's, 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 like it's super far away. Okay, right? <laughs> Sarah's schedule it's is crazy. full, guys. It's crazy, guys. You guys, it's full. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks for having me on your show. Okay. I will be on your show uh, next year. Well, so. I'm looking yeah. forward to it already. You are just, you're wonderful. You're doing amazing things here with your show, and just thank you for for sharing your voice and sharing your brain with people. You're just amazing. Oh, shucks, Sarah. <laughs> Oh, good. Making me blush. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Sarah was, as is her way, so generous. Such a sweet lady. Our thanks again for allowing us to put our filthy hands on your precious baby. This has been an amazing run for us thus far. I want to thank everyone out there who has supported us along the way. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It'll help get the word out about us and help the writers we feature get to where they want to go. If you want to submit something you've been working on to the show, please send a letter of inquiry to thehiddenscribes at gmail.com or reach out and engage with us on the various socials. You can holler at me on Twitter at Mark underscore million. That is Mark, M-A-R-K underscore M-I-L-L-I-E-N. We out.